0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: I spoke with Speaker McCarthy and we've reached a bipartisan budget agreement that we're ready to move to the full Congress. And I think it's a really important step forward.
0: So the deadlock is broken in D.C. as President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy strike a debt ceiling deal, with attention now turning to a midweek vote ahead of an updated Treasury deadline of June the 5th.
2: We did a conference call with our conference and over 95% were overwhelmingly excited about what they see. In every single uh, negotiation when it comes to debt ceiling and others, we get both sides of the party voting to pass the bills and they expect the same (laughs) thing.
0: So what about the market reaction? Will Asian equities cheer the breakthrough in Washington, with Japan's Nikkei hitting a fresh 33-year high, while U.S. futures trade in the green and oil prices rally?
3: Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez's socialist party takes a beating in regional elections, with the Conservative People's Party flipping several key areas ahead of December's national vote. Turkey's Recep Tayyip Erdogan claims victory in the presidential runoff extending his rule into a third decade, while the lira sinks to a near-record low.
0: We said that we would win in a way where no one would lose. In that case, today, the only winner is Turkey. Good morning Karen. Back to you. Thank you very much. Had a nice week in Spain, very pleasant. And we're going to focus on those uh, elections down there, the regional elections uh, coming up in the programme later. What,
3: what was your take when you were in Spain?
0: I thought, well, I went to Seville, which was very busy, a uh, lot of tourists yeah. and generally lovely. Mm. So I think um, as far as the country is concerned, business as usual. Yeah. But. I know the socialists um, are not popular at the moment and it'd be interesting to see how the regional elections go so far. Yeah,
3: well the tourism side I guess is a big heavy lifting part of the economy for Spain so yeah. if that's firing on uh, all cylinders then it should be smoothing over some of the cracks you would think economically.
0: But of course the the real actions in the United States isn't yeah. it with the uh, debt deal so let's get you into the detail here US President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy have reached a deal to suspend the 31.4 trillion dollar debt ceiling until January 1, 2005, the agreement comes after a warning on Friday from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen that the government has until June 5 to avoid a default. The deal, which also caps non-defence spending, imposes new work requirements for government aid recipients and claws back unspent COVID relief funds. It will now move to Congress for a vote. Passage in the House is not guaranteed as some lawmakers are looking for significantly larger budget cuts. Well, President Biden says the deal is, quote, good news for Americans. I spoke with Speaker McCarthy and we've reached a bipartisan budget agreement that
1: we're ready to move to the full Congress. And I think it's a really important step forward. Excuse me. And it takes uh, the threat of catastrophic default off the table protects our hard-earned and historic economic recovery. And the agreement also represents a compromise, which means no one got everything they want. But that's the responsibility of governing.
0: Well, as the deal heads to Congress, McCarthy says most Republicans are happy.
2: We worked through the night last night. We're finalising uh, the language of an agreement with the president that I believe is worthy uh, of the American people. Just to take you back to where we all started, back to February 1st, sat down with the President, I said let's work together to be able to raise the debt ceiling but curve the amount of spending, to let America be able to work again, cut red tape, um, get some work requirements to help people get back into work. Uh, I think this agreement frames all that from limit, save, grow. It doesn't get everything everybody wants, but that's Divided government. That's where we end up. I think it's a very
3: positive bill. We have witnessed somewhat of a relief rally on markets. Those that are trading at this stage, don't forget the US out of action for Memorial Day holiday. But going into the weekend, there are glimmers of hope. The US markets were perched higher as a result. Very strong ranges, what 1% up on the Dow, more than on other major indices, 2.2% on the Nasdaq. And you can see that spilling across the region. Australian stocks, that's driven by the commodity bounce. That market up 1%, a little bit slimmer on the ranges across China and actually Hong Kong tracking weaker but you can see it expressed through the lens of the Japanese stock market 364 points more than 1% in the green this has been a very strong market anyway on days where you've seen the confidence return this is a market that's been benefiting even last week though as the confidence hit a lull a real lowest markets became more pessimistic this market did come off slightly but you can see now just reversing course and recapturing some upside to the dollar Risk on currencies initially benefiting from the news flow. You can see the morning session still perched higher sterling. one twenty three fifty five up a tenth of a percent. Euro is also uh, moving into the green at this stage. Dollar weakening versus the Japanese currency. And uh, you can see dollar is stronger versus the yuan in China. To the uh, WTI Brent and Gold trade, the commodities today. I mentioned uh, the strength we're seeing across the commodities complex. This is how it plays out morning session. We are 77.5 on Brent, uh, 73.29 on WTI. Both are tracking high, roughly 8 tenths of a percent, and gold coming off. This is the alternative, of course, as we took uh, a look at that risk aversion last week there was appetite to really go into very safe trades that's fading now as uh, the market just eyes this breakthrough of the weekend to the opening calls in europe we will begin trading soon the uh market here the uk will be closed it's bank holiday here and as you can see uh, the other signals are positive across from the italian stock market to germany not getting much on the french market at this hour at this stage let's take a quick look at those us futures it's still many hours out and you can see that we are watching markets uh, repriced to the upside. We did see quite a bit Friday sessions and perhaps we want to see more if not for that news flow that encouraged stocks uh, to be back into the green. But uh, of course, we'll have to wait till the Tuesday session to see how this plays out. Let's get to Matt Orton, who is Chief Market Strategist at Raymond James. Matt, still a couple more hurdles to cross in Congress, but at this point, the market is encouraged by the breakthrough on Saturday between both sides of the aisle. What do you make of uh, the debt ceiling issue Are we done and dusted? Are you just moving forward?
4: Good morning, Karen. Good to see you. And I'd like to say it's done and dusted. There's always a slight risk that something might happen unexpected in Congress, but by and large resolution looks very very positive for markets it sounds like both the president and speaker mccarthy are encouraged by the backing that they expect to have so uh, unless you get some really sort of left tail event I i would expect that it's wrapped up and so it lets us finally move forward and perhaps the market can start to focus on what some of the real issues are that we've been ignoring for a long time it's really the tension between Will there be a recession? Is the Fed going to continue to keep hiking interest rates? Because economic data has been much stronger than a lot of people have expected. And on the other hand, you're contrasting that with pretty strong corporate earnings. And will that be able to sustain going forward? I think there's a lot of anomalies in this market. And even though the pain trade in the short term might remain higher, I still am encouraging clients to to remain a little bit more defensive. That doesn't mean risk-averse. That just means leaning into some of the parts of the market that may not have been up as strong as some of the AI trades earlier this year because there are still risks ahead of us.
3: Matt, I take your point about keeping focused around some of the the big challenges, namely monetary policy does feel as though the debt ceiling was a gigantic distraction. When you take a look at the latest data that we had Friday, the PCE effectively showing us that the xing out food and energy, that we saw that the PCA rose 0.4% in April. This was more than anticipated. We also saw in the data that consumers are very resilient still. will bounce back in April. So what do we make of this strength, just as the Fed is looking for some cooling off in the economy?
4: Yeah, I always say never bet against the American consumer because Americans are great at spending money they have, and they're even better at spending money that they don't have. And so as we move forward, even though a lot of savings have been drawn down, we're seeing through earnings and through a lot of the data that you just mentioned that the consumer's wallet is still open. And so that's encouraging from an economic perspective, but it's a problem with respect to the Fed. I do not see how the Fed can possibly cut interest rates, which there's multiple rate cuts priced in before the end of this year. And that's a risk to the market. If anything, a June hike is back on the table. You know, that's not my base case. I still think and I, I hope that maybe we get a pause in the month of June, but there's a risk that you still get a hike. And that that puts pressure on some of these higher duration parts of the market that have led us higher. And it's been an extremely narrow market. There's 10 stocks. In the US, contributing to 100% of the gains in the SP 500 so far this year. And that's a risk, especially if rates aren't going to be lower. And so that's one reason to remain defensive because the broader market of stocks, the average stock, is basically flat for the year with some really, really strong earnings in sectors like healthcare, aerospace, and defense, parts of the market that have strong fundamental trends good earnings momentum, but just haven't been rewarded yet. So so I've been on the road for the past week telling clients that might be an area to look into, because if you do see the market continue to move higher, you're probably going to need to see breadth increase. Everything can't keep accruing to the top couple of companies.
0: Yeah, but uh, Matt, what is, what is the catalyst for that? Because this, this um, concentration of performance has been with us for some time and it, it's only really paid you to pursue that momentum. What is the catalyst that broadens out those returns? Because as you say, the statistics on this are quite arresting when you discuss the fact that 70% of the S&P are actually performing worse than the index on average.
4: Yeah, it's a pretty scary statistic, actually, when you think about how the market of stocks is actually performing And I got asked that question by a client last week when I was speaking with them, and I think there's two scenarios that can play out to see breadth increase across the market. Number one is real money starts to come back. So there's still a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines on the part of institutional investors and retail investors alike, and so if you start to see money coming back, I don't know if it continues to only chase the names where you've seen a lot of gains. I think real money, especially institutional assets, that's going to be going more into active management. That's going to be more going into stocks that haven't seen those sorts of gains where I'll say there's perceived value. So that's one scenario. I think the other scenario that that also needs to happen is you start to see investors embrace cyclicality again. So so investors start to coalesce around the idea that maybe we can get through this with either a softish landing or a no landing. And I think that starts to see assets as well start to go into small caps, start to go into more cyclical assets. And I think that also starts to broaden the market more. So again, that's going to be dependent on the Fed, the path forward, and what we're really going to. The next couple of weeks and the data that comes in are going to be increasingly important uh, as we look to what what can happen for for the market to broaden.
0: Matt, I think the the debt deal has uh, thrown the focus back on the dollar and whether we're likely to see the dollar begin to soften again from here. What do you think that implies for our international audience who may be wondering about whether they should be putting money to work in the United States at the moment if the currency is going to weaken?
4: Yeah, that's another really good point. And I think the U.S. can offer some value. I still think the U.S. is more constrained to trading within a range, even though in the short term we might be breaking out of that kind of 4200 3700 range on the S&P 500. The weaker dollar is going to be a headwind for international investors. And there's also value overseas. And so when I've been talking to clients, looking to areas like emerging markets, there's a lot of value. emerging markets and em is not a monolith. so when you look you really have to be active and very very selective so parts of emerging markets that i think make a lot of sense right now asia x china is at the top of my list countries like taiwan South Korea, the Philippines, Indonesia, they have broader markets. Semiconductors have helped them lead the way. And so this AI trend is going to continue to benefit them. But banks, industrials, um, those are all going to assist them as well. And within international developed markets, the gains that you've seen in Japan probably would want to wait to see some losses there, but Europe. Some of the downside you saw as a result of the luxury goods makers falling, I think that could be an opportunity because, again, the fundamentals in Europe, broadly speaking, have exceeded investor expectations and the indices themselves are a little bit more value oriented, which I think might be where investors are looking to go uh, who've loaded up and maybe you're too concentrated on the tech AI trade. So there's definitely opportunities to broaden outside of just the U.S.,
0: And Matt, you've skirted China here by discussing Asia ex-China. Just tell us uh, what you think of China's recovery at this stage and whether it's investable as far as you're concerned, uh, well, at least in the equity markets.
4: Yeah, my problem with China is just that growth is slowing. I think there's still headwinds to the reopening, even though we're seeing that the reopening is here to stay. It has gone very, very well. But there's issues in the property market in China. There's concerns around the debt burden that a lot of regions are going to have to pay with respect to real estate in particular how that impacts state on enterprises that's anyone's best guess right now and then you have regulatory concerns so i would advise and i've been telling clients to stay away from china and so far this year that's been a winning trade and if you want to lean into a growing economy a very large economy India looks a lot more interesting to me. India was a big outperformer last year. It's lagged up until the past month or so. And I think there's a tremendous amount of value, particularly in Indian banks, uh, because the economy continues to be well and that interest margins are expanding. So. I would avoid China, lean into Asia, ex-China, because that's benefiting from the reopening, but avoid some of those bigger problems, and or look to India, because that's an area of relative strength that I think can continue, at least in the medium term.
0: Matt, real pleasure catching up with you. Thanks for joining us. Matt Orton, uh, Chief Market Strategist at Raymond James. US PCE inflation coming in above expectations for April, posting a 4.4% rise on the year. Core prices increased 4.7%. The hot readings on the Fed's preferred inflation gauge led to traders lifting bets on another rate hike at next month's FOMC meeting. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester telling CNBC recent data doesn't suggest a pause in rate hikes.
4: I would like to get to a point in the funds rate where I feel that whatever the next move is, and whenever that is, it's about equally weighted between an up move and a down move. And given the data that we've had so far, I don't think we're at that level yet. Everything's on the table in June. You know, we don't pre-commit to uh, our, our meeting in advance. So I'm sure that's gonna be part of the discussion is what to do in June. But I think you know, as important is as gonna be sort of thinking about where we are relative to getting back to 2% inflation. As you know, the Fed is very committed to bringing inflation down to 2%. And we wanna do that in a timely way. Uh, The UK
0: government is reportedly considering plans to introduce price caps on some basic food items in supermarkets in an attempt to tackle the rising cost of living. The proposal, first reported by The Telegraph, has been criticised by the British Retail Consortium, which says it won't make a difference to prices and accused Prime Minister Rishi Sunak of, quote, recreating 1970s-style price controls. There's a very funny meme Doing the rounds. I don't know whether you've seen it, Karen Hansel and Gretel. Right. And you know, the house made of sweets and yes. sugar uh, um, and gingerbread. Right. And uh, I think the, the underlying point is you know, forget worrying about house prices in the UK, it's food prices that are the real problem at the moment. Right tickled me. I thought it was quite amusing.
3: Well, you think about uh, what many across the UK have done, they've fixed their mortgage costs. Mm. But the one element that they can't get ahead of really is the, the food price story, where every time you go, everything's yeah. more expensive. I think that said, you know, it's interesting The supermarkets, I think, have done their bit to try and keep a lid on prices. It's everything else along the way that's gone up uh, from a lot of the big distributors from the suppliers. You've seen increase after increase that's been passed on.
0: And have you seen the decline in sheep numbers in new Zealand no.
3: big story they 'd actually noticed it there
0: big big story <laughs> We were talking about it there. We were talking about it this morning. <laughs> Just happens that we have a producer. At Top producer yeah. in the newsroom. I mean, who comes from New Zealand?
3: Well, there is a joke, you know, yeah. that when you go to New Zealand, you see a lot of sheep. Right. But it actually does strike you when you go to New Zealand. There are a lot of sli- there a actually lot. are a lot of sheep.
0: But more in Australia, I take it. Is uh, that right? Uh,
3: by overall oh. amount, but right. in terms of well, oh, she's
0: weighing in now on per, my opinion. Per,
3: per capita, more <laughs>
0: overall, definitely. <laughs> per capita,
3: the amount of sheep per person. I don't know. Well, welcome <laughs> to Farmers
0: Weekly, sheep. everybody. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Still to come on the program: Spain's ruling Socialists get a drubbing in regional elections. We'll be back after the break.
3: Spain's ruling Socialist Party returned heavy losses in the country's regional and local elections this weekend. The party managed to hold on to just three of 12 regions, holding elections with the rest including the former socialist stronghold of Valencia, likely to be taken by conservative rivals the People's Party. Let's get out to Charlotte who is now in Madrid for us. Charlotte, uh, you've moved uh, a little bit further afield from where you were previously now to the capital. Just walk us through the events from the weekend and just how significant they are for the Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez.
1: Well, good morning, Karen. Well, listening to the commentators on Spanish media, they talk about a tsunami and a debacle. That's really the sense that there is this morning with these results of this regional election. As you said, uh, 12 regions were holding elections uh, uh, and also cities across the country were voting for their mayors. And nine of these 12 regions were held by the Socialists, where it looks like the centre-right party, the Partido Popular, has managed to flip six of them. So it's worse than the worst-case scenario that the Socialists we're looking at, uh, being. bear in mind that the Socialists, of course, are the party of the Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, regions have been flipped, including uh, Extremadura, which is one of the historic stronghold of the Socialist Party. It was like that one that has flipped. They held on to uh, another one as was Castilla-La Mancha that just held on to that one. So it's very, very significant result. As you said, Valencia, that was expected to be the crown jewel of this election, that's why we were there. On Friday, the center right Partido Popular was hoping that it could gain that region, Is symbolic win, and potentially the city, well, they have won both. So here again, very significant win for the centre-right of the Partido Popular. Uh, yesterday, the leader of that party, Alberto Feijó, uh, said that the PP has won the municipal and regional election, and that now it is a new political cycle. So very interesting here to see. But uh, some remarkable elements. Uh, this, the far-right party Vox is now the third force in the country, and that's very significant. They could be kingmakers in several of those regions. That's a really big change in Spain where they didn't have a far-right party for a very long time. They emerged quite late on the scene and now they will be extremely crucial for this election and potentially for the national uh, election at the end of uh, this year. Uh, For the socialists, uh, some of their smaller partners that are in their government coalition have completely collapsed. In Podemos, the far-left party, has completely vanished from the political scene. So here again, very significant for the socialists going ahead on how they want to run. Looking at the cities that are the mayoral election of the five big cities in the country, the socialists don't hold any of them anymore. They have lost Sevilla in Andalusia, which was the last big city that held in Andalusia. They have lost it to the PP. Uh, they, uh, here we are in Madrid. Madrid was already held by the Partido Popular, the center right, both the city and the region. But they went from a minority to a majority, to an absolute majority in this region. So they're even stronger than they used to be. So here again, looking at the broad, broad picture, it's very, very bad for the socialists. So now the Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez, that didn't speak last night, only the spokesperson of the party said that they uh, received the message and there will be a change of strategy. We have to wait and see what that means. Uh, So very difficult now. Second cycle for this election for the Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, Uh, bearing in mind he will hold the rotating presidency of the EU from the 1st of July. He might try to use a bit of that international role uh, to beef up his profile, but one thing is for sure is that it's going to be very, very difficult for him. There's a big challenge coming for the Partido Popular led by Feijó, who took the helm of that party. just last year and now he's charging on with this victory and he could be the next Prime Minister of Spain. Of course, a lot can happen in six months, but certainly the dynamic is very negative for Pedro Sanchez right now. Guys.
3: Charlotte, let's just piece this together a little bit more because we've had an era of stability for Spain. I think the markets have been pricing around that as a result under Pedro Sanchez. But now on the wash up of the weekend, if we see more weight by Vox, as you mentioned, but also by Basque or Catalan separatists or nationalists. What does that mean for the way the perception of Spain is on markets as we count down towards that election later this year?
1: Look, it's interesting because the opposition of the central-right, the Partido Popular, they're the ones that basically turned this regional election. That normally, it's very much debated and fought on local issues. The regions are, it's almost a federation, span. the regions have big, big powers, and normally all this campaign is on local issues, on health, on transport, etc., etc. But the, the opposition turned this election into a referendum on Pedro Sanchez. And they use this word, they, they created this expression, Sanchismo, which means basically Stay in power, whatever the cost, and you can say one thing in the campaign and change your mind after. Like Pedro Sánchez said, he would not do an alliance with, with the far-left party, and then in the end he did. And also criticising his alliance with some of the separatist uh, the separatist parties, including, as like you mentioned, one of the Basque one, Bildu, that had some uh, ex-terrorist uh, group ETA that were part of their list, and it was very controversial because that party did support Pedro Sánchez to vote the budget, so the, the opposition really, really pushed that message that uh, Sanchez was uh, making deals with the devil, if necessary, to stay in power, and that message seems to so have been sticking with voters to a certain extent. The turnout was important; was better than the 2019 election, and he has been very criticised Pedro Sanchez. While some of the policies of his party have been supported, a lot of cost in crisis, almost too much. In this election, there was almost a new announcement every week of cheaper cinema tickets, cheaper transport, etc. Et the, the government threw everything at it, but he is an popular leader. And remember, in 2019, he ran two elections and he was a minority in both of those elections. And in the second one, he had to make a coalition with the far left that he said he wouldn't make a coalition with. So again, he's being very criticised again on the, on the foreign scene. Uh, the profile of Spain has raised certainly with Pedro Sanchez, Again, he has that EU presidency that he might try to use. Uh, but certainly within the country, he is an unpopular figure. And certainly the results uh, that we had from last night very much reflect that.
3: Charlotte, thank you very much for bringing us the latest coverage there.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more
4: market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.